You're listening to the weekly podcast of Citizens Church with Pastor Chris Norman. For more information on the work that God is doing through Citizens Church, please visit us online at citizenschurch.org. You know what, as I was, um, I was praying for this last night, and I just want to encourage you, like some of these questions, they're, they're going to hit you, they're going to answer something maybe that you've been thinking about, or it might be something that, that you're going to use later on. It might be a conversation that comes up this week. So I just want to encourage you to lean in, take some notes. Um, all of these questions, I think, are just applicable to us and, and where we're at in our lives, where our friends, family members are at. So, so lean in, it's going to be good. So, Pastor Trey, we are going to start with you. How do we engage more with God on a spiritual level when we don't feel or hear him? Yeah, it's a great question. It's a great question. Um, Come on, I think we can all, all admit, like, there's, there's times in our life or there's seasons in our life where it's just like, I don't know, it just kind of feels a little dry or, you know, maybe not hearing God so much or not, not really feeling it, right? Um, and and if, if you haven't had an experience like that, you're probably, like, really new to Christianity, like, you're a new believer, but you, you will have those, have those moments. And... Um, I think first off, we need to kind of remove this this idea or this maybe stigma around that, like, like kind of normalize it a little bit um, to say that, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean like you're broken, like there's something wrong with you or that God doesn't love you or you don't love God enough, right? Yeah. Um, in fact, I would I would argue this, you know, because I, I grew up in a church background where it's just very like, you just, you got to love God more, right? Like just, just love God. And I'm like, I... I'm here, like I'm trying, I feel like I love God, I'm trying, it's just, that, and I think you gotta know like, you don't love God by trying, um, but you love God first by receiving how much he loves you, right? Like we love because he first loved us. So, so in those moments, take that, you know, the enemy trying to, to feed you that lie that maybe you don't love God enough or God doesn't love you. No, settle that in your heart. God loves you. James is very clear that as we lean into God, as we seek God, as we pursue God, he is going to lean back into us. We see that all throughout scripture that whatever you lean into leans back into you, right? Uh, Proverbs says that, you, you know, you lean into wisdom. Wisdom leans back into you. So it's really important um, to, to understand that when you press into the presence of God, he is there and he is going to show up. Now, what we do sometimes is we put this idea of what that looks like in our mind. And, you know, especially in Christianity, like we have this like romanticized view sometimes of what a relationship with God looks like, you know, like we've got, we're, we're sitting you know, early in the morning, the birds are chirping, we've got our coffee and our journal, and we're just like, God's just, you know, like the spirit of God is just going to descend like a, like a dove, and, and it just like feels perfect, and sometimes it just doesn't feel that way. Sometimes right. it is not like that. Sometimes it is, and that's awesome, great, celebrate yep. those moments, but just know it's not always, it's not always like that. Yep. So I think first, you know, getting this idea, like just being confident in the fact that, no, God loves me. His word is true. The more I lean into him, he is going to lean into me to try to get some of those misconceptions out of our mind. But then there's some practical things I think we need to, to look at as well. Um, yeah, I think when you're not, when you're not feeling the presence of God or you've got those dry seasons, I think I said this last week, but gratitude is so powerful. 
Gratitude is so powerful. And in fact, it's, it kind of unlocks the keys to the presence of God, right? Scripture says to come into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. And so I would, um, I would ask you to check your gratitude level, right? Just check your gratitude. And even in those moments, I'm just going to say, you know what, God, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for you. Even when if I don't feel it, like I'm, I'm great. Somebody should write a song about that. Like even if I don't feel it, you're still, you're still working. Um, I, I, I think I've heard that. Uh, so I think you should check your, check your gratitude. Um, I think it's also very important to get in the practice of repentance. Um, there's, there's sometimes in some seasons of our life where we're not feeling God, we're not, yeah, it just doesn't feel right. And maybe you need to be like David and say, hey, God, will you search my heart? Is there something that's offensive to you? Is there something that I need to repent of? And is there there's something I need to clear out that may be putting a barrier between me and you? Um, a, another practical thing would be like break your routine. Like sometimes you gotta, you know, like like PC when you're working out, right? From what I from what I've heard. From what I've heard, when, when you hit a kind of when you stall in your growth, so you gotta shock your body, you gotta break it up, stop doing the same thing that you always do. And uh, I think you can do that in your spiritual life too. Like if you always do the same thing, you always approach God in the same way, like maybe just break your routine up a little bit. Maybe try in a different time of day. Maybe try a different, maybe if you're, if you're reading through Lamentations and trying to figure out why am I just not feeling God's presence, like, I don't know, throw some New Testament in there. I'm just, I don't know. And you know, just break up, break up your routine. Um, uh, <laughs> Fast, fast. We don't like to talk about that a lot because, I mean, fasting's great, but eating's better. I mean, I just, I, I love to eat. But sometimes, like, we need to get into you know, a rhythm or a routine of, of fasting. Like, Scripture is very clear that some things only come by prayer and fasting. So I think, I think fasting. Uh, last thing, and I'll end it because I'm taking way too much time. Get, get around the right people. Get around the right people. When your faith is low, you need some people around you whose faith can, they can, they can lift you up. I, I love what um, Hebrews 10 says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as the day approaching. So, so get some, some people around you. You need a good crew. You need a solid crew that can help spur you on and not just let you continue to lag behind. Like if they're not going to leave you in a dry spell when you're, when you're feeling in a dry spell, like you need people to spur you on. And the last thing is like, be persistent. Just be, be persistent. Scripture says, pray and be persistent in your prayers. Keep pushing, keep leaning in. I, God is faithful. He will show up. You will experience his goodness, his faithfulness in your life. Just don't give up. That's so good. Wow. That's so, good. so great, Pastor Trey. So good. That was really good. I mean, I could comment and we can go forever. Like, I mean, just really, it's on, because I've walked through those moments, yeah. you know, where it's like, God, where are you? And, and yeah. all, everything that you laid out so perfectly. I love even reaching out to people and, and getting around the right people. Like, it, you just walk. I, I have some friends right now. When I'm, I have this happen in my life, I call them. And they're praying over me. They're calling and checking on me. And just, you just boost your, yeah, your faith back. I love it. Anyway, we got, we got a lot That's to hit. Good. So. Okay. Uh, our next question has to deal with confrontation. 
And you are either someone who loves confrontation or you don't love confrontation. I love confrontation. But this is a good question for me. How do you have <laughs> confrontational conversations biblically? That's great. That's my question. So that's my question because I deal with it all the time. Hey, everybody. I'm just kidding. No, I'm just teasing. Um, hey, so here's the reality. We live in, we live in a, 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 what the Bible calls a fallen planet. People are not perfect. So anyone you have, try to have a relationship with inside, outside the church, they're not perfect people. Somebody's going to do something wrong and going to hurt you. Okay, anyone ever been hurt? Come on, don't you? Everyone else who's gotten, didn't raise your hand, you're lying in church. Don't lie in church. So you're going to get hurt. You're going to get hurt. Okay, now watch. Right now, in our nation, it's not just, it's everywhere. I believe that this is not being, uh, not only not taught, but not like leaned into. You see it everywhere right now where we just don't know how to handle our hurt biblically and how to confront things biblically. So listen, first and foremost, the Bible says this. I'm gonna throw a bunch of scripture at you because it's so important. By the way, if you don't get this right, you're actually in sin. If you don't get this right, you are actually operating outside of God's heart for you in the church, and you become, I'm not gonna go into it, but in James it talks about how your mouth and your life actually become a tool of the enemy. And the enemy will use our improper handling of, of, of hurt to actually sow seeds of, uh, Corinthians says, seeds of, of discord amongst the brethren or, or schisms within the body of Christ. So listen, here's what you do. Everyone write this down biblically. For, I'm gonna walk you through it, ready, easily. Go to them. Did you hear me say them? Who do you go to? You go to who hurt you. Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 16 says, if your brother sins against you, go to go and tell him his fault between you and him alone, right? If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take two, one or two others uh, along with you that Every charge may be established in the evidence are in uh, the evidence of two or three witnesses. So he says, if someone sinned against you, they hurt you, okay? They, they, they did something contrary to scripture that just messed with you, or they, maybe they said something, you heard something, that you, you saw something, and it's hurt you. The Bible says the first thing, you go to them. What's your motivation, by the way? Not to put them in their place, not to, what's it say? The motivation is restoration, of, of relationship and restoration of, of that person that is, is hurting or has stepped out outside of what you believe is God's best for their life. So you go to them. Problem is today, now watch, today, we, a, lot, a lot of us don't wanna go to the person. We, we don't have, we, we would rather instead of go to them, I always call it going up to the person. We like to go sideways and we like to go down. So did you hear and how they hurt, and, they, and be careful because the moment I've been hurt and I take it to others before taking it to them, scripture actually says that I'm, I'm falling into this place of, of gossip, slander, it's, it's sin. James 4.11, do not speak evil of one another, brethren. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. What law? This is James, the law of love. Okay, love what? Love covers a multitude of sins. Love looks out for the best in others. Love wants to move things forward. The moment you take things sideways, that word there, do not speak evil, it's, it's the word slander. You slander somebody, okay? It says if you speak evil against the law, you judge the law. But the, if you are a judge of the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. In other words, you have now stepped outside of obeying God's law. You're not loving. You're not loving, you're slandering. 
Um, it's what happens when we communicate, listen, we communicate information about other believers in a way that could possibly damage their reputation. If you say something about somebody that can possibly damage their reputation and you go sideways, you're slandering and, and it's actually sinful. Now watch this, I'll take it a step further. Not only are we not to speak it, we're not to give platform to it. This needs to be taught. So Proverbs 17, 4 Proverbs 17, 4 says, an evildoer listens to wicked lips and a liar gives ear to mischievous tongue. So somebody come, I always, taught, I always teach this to my kids. Now someone comes up to you and they got their dump truck. And they start to, and they're starting to dump all this trash on you about so-and-so and such. He's like, hold, hold, hold it. Don't want to hear it. Take it. Have you taken it to them? Have you gone to them? Don't come to me unless you've first gone to them. And if you've gone to them and they're still in their thing, when you come to me, it needs to be, man, I am so not high and mighty. And we need, I'm so worried about our friend. And I'm just, man, would you pray with me? I, okay, let's see if we could help. Let's see if we could. It's a heart of restoration. Now, now all of a sudden, two can start talking. And that's, by the way, you're supposed to be doing that with leadership. You go to them. You go to the next person that maybe could help them. Make sense? So someone say, go to them. Go to them. Someone say, go to them. Go to them. So go to them. Um, and then when we go to them, watch this. I was thinking, I was thinking about how a lot of times the things that, that come to us are not even just sin issues. It's just issues of like, um, preference, you know, like it's not a, well, I prefer them not to do that. Well, it's not even sin. It's just your preference. You know what I mean? And you can talk about those things, but come on, don't make your personal preference a biblical conviction. And you need to be careful with those things. So now you're going to go to them because you're going to have the conversation. When you go to them, there's a way in which God says go to them. Watch Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. God takes all this very, very seriously. He says, do not judge. Everyone's like, always tells people, like, don't judge me. Don't judge me. The Bible says don't judge. We love this verse. Everyone who feels judged in the world loves this verse. The Bible says do not judge. But if you read it, that's not what Scripture is not saying that we don't ever judge. He's just saying do not judge. Watch or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, um, you will be judged. And with the same measure you use, it'll be measured back to you. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says come on, I'll, I'll move on, I promise. The Bible says, now when you go to them, just know that how you judge them, it can come right back to you. Yeah. From where? I don't, it doesn't say. From God, from others, we don't know. But here's what I do know. How I approach you is how I'm gonna be approached. I, I don't know about you, but when I've done something wrong and you come to me, I want you to come to me with all the grace and love and hear the story you can muster up inside your heart. I want you to like, right? And so I need to be careful that I am then doing that with the person I'm about to go talk to. So the analogy God uses in scripture, uh, Jesus uses, he says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and you pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? So what is, Jesus says this, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Okay? So I'm going to go to them first, and when I go to them, I go by first removing the plank out of my own eye. Meaning, I get before God, and I go, God, 
you know, uh, I got my friend here. And they've been doing some stuff. I just, they hurt me. They, but before I go talk to them, God, is, would you search me? Try me? Is there anything in me? Am I arrogant? Am I prideful? Is there any? And what's going to happen? God's going to go, hey, yeah, you got this issue and that issue. And all of a sudden I go from, come on, follow me camera for illustration's sake. I go from up here. I'm going to go talk to my friend. I'm going to go put them in their place. I'm gonna, and I, come, I go, oh, man. I, oh. And now all of a sudden I have humility in my heart. When I go to my friend, I'm not riding around on my high horse. I'm coming to them in humility going, hey, can we chat? I just feel like, you know, I, I don't got it all together. I, trust me, I just took a plank out of my own eye, and it hurt. But can we talk about, I, I just kind of feel like there's this thing, and I, I saw this, and I, I heard this, I felt this, and, and can we talk about that? So there's humility there, you see? Humility there. That's scriptural. If we're not doing that, first of all, you will never get the results of, of restoration, and you're actually stepping outside of God's designed for how, how to have confrontational uh, conversations. Now, play that out, we're done. Is they don't respond properly, I go to, I go to leadership, and, and I say, hey guys, I'm seeing this. And again, humility, plank out of my eye. Can you help me have this conversation? And then now leadership maybe sits down with the goal of restoration and seeks to restore that person. And then the Bible actually says, if you can't restore that person, it's leadership's responsibility to remove that person from infecting everybody else until that person gets healthy again, yeah. is what, that, what Matthew goes on to do. Because I have to, you have to get them away from everybody else because they're not healthy, okay? But there's a process you walk them through. And if that person's unwilling to come and talk and humble themselves, it's like, all right, we gotta, we gotta put you in a place. And even what's the goal there? Is that they move to this place where they realize, man, I'm making a mess and they come back humbly and, and want to be restored. And so that's the biblical model of having uh, confrontational conversations. That's great. All right? That's great. All right. I love it. So my question wasn't as fun as yours. <laughs> you get all the fun questions. That's right. I know. That's right. I, I get the, Sorry about that. It's all right. It's all right. I love how you said love covers a multitude of sins because I feel like sometimes, you know, certain certain people can want to confront everything, but I feel like, hey, if love can so cover good. it, then don't worry about it. You know what I mean? It's those things that if, if, if it can't and you're feeling like it just keeps eating at you, then you want to have this that biblical confrontation. That was good. Um, our next question, Pastor Trey, what do we do? How do we handle friendships with non-believers? Yeah, friendships with, with non-believers. Um, but I think this is a big, people have been yeah. asked this question because we just did a whole thing on on uh, not being equal, being unequally yoked, and all that. And a lot of people have been talking about that. So yeah, anyway. that's that's great. Um, I think there's a couple. Of, I think there's a couple of um, sides to this because maybe you're just asking the question: Is it okay to be friends with sinners? All right, let me just throw a blanket, like quick answer: Yes, yes. You you you, sh you should be a friend. A friend to sinners. All right. Um, we're we are all sinners. We we. Yes, okay. Where that came in, Jesus, um, in Luke, uh, Luke 7, Jesus is actually called a friend of sinners. It's his name. Like, that's a, a nickname that's given to him. It's by the religious people, and they're like, oh, look at this guy. He's, he's eating with tax collectors and, and sinners. He's a friend of sinners, right? Um, so short answer is, yes, you should be friends to sinners, but how do you be a friend friend of sinners, because what some people like to do is use that and then put Jesus like he's hanging in the club every, every weekend, just like, hey, I'd love to talk to you about this uh, being born again. Oh, wait, that's my jam. Let me, after this, then we'll, we'll come back. That's, that's not what Jesus is doing, okay? 
There's about five. <laughs> Mike, you liked that one, didn't you? Uh, there's, <laughs> there's about five instances in Scripture, six if you count the, the woman caught in, a, in adultery. There's about five or so instances in the Gospels where um, Jesus sort of gets like reprimanded by the religious people for being a friend, like being too close to, to sinners and, you know, and, and bad people according, according to them. But you have to look at what was happening in those instances, okay? Jesus, Jesus was not, um, like I said, he's not hanging out all the time in places that he didn't need to be where there's active sin and all these things going on. He's not out getting drunk with, you know, with the tax collector. No, every time Jesus encounters this and, and he's called a friend of sinners, he was, um, he was eating with them. He was around them. But but you got to also look, they were drawn to Jesus. The sinners were drawn to Jesus and they were listening to him. They were listening to his teaching. They were listening to what he was saying, listening to what, how he was leading them. And, and I think that's really important because we don't want to use the, you know, we talked about freedom last week. We don't want to abuse freedom. We don't want to abuse grace. Grace is not a license to sin. It's cheap grace. It's not what we're talking about. What we're, what we're talking about is how can I live a life that God's called me to live, a holy life, a set-apart life, which we don't talk about holiness enough, but, but Jesus is very, um, it's a very important part of Christianity, just a life that's set apart. Hey, do you remember, we're a peculiar people. Like, we're, we're supposed to be different yeah. than, than the rest of the world. We're supposed right. to be set apart. But we do have to be able to reach those that are not believers. Um, the question then comes in is, all right, well, how do I do that? How, how do I, if I, you know, if I don't need to hang out with like where they are, like how do, how do I do that? For, you, you need to look for every opportunity that you have to exemplify Christ. Yeah, look good. for every opportunity in every conversation. We talked about this last week with family members who are lost. Like, if a non-believer was hanging out with you, would they see Jesus? Would, they, would, would, they, would it be any different? Would they want to follow Jesus if they were hanging out with you, right? So take ownership in that. But I want to make sure that we are listening to and understanding the fact that 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be conceived. Bad company corrupts even good morals. Bad company corrupts good character. Proverbs 13, 20, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will right. suffer harm. Yep. Friendships, like any relationships, they are, they're elevators. They're yep. taking you up, they're taking That's you great. down, but they're taking you somewhere. Yeah. So the people that you're around, you know, we, we, we say the phrase, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. The people that you're spending the mo- majority of your time with, your close circle, your circle of friends, they are taking you somewhere. And so you got to identify, like, is this a healthy relationship that I can pour into them? Um, and what, what barriers or what, um, how much distance do I need to create? Because Jesus even had, you know, his, his closest friends, his, his three, mm-hmm. Peter, James, and John. Then he had the 12 and the 70. And, it, like, there were different levels of relationship. Because there's some Christians who, like, your closest friends are out doing everything they should not be doing, and they're dragging you along with them. And you think you're going to pull them closer to Jesus, but they're pulling you further away. 
And I think you just got to identify that and, and set up some healthy boundaries. That's Does great. that make sense? Yeah, so good. No, that's so good. That's so great. Good. You guys Come enjoy on, that? Trey. Good answer. All right. Y'all still with us? Okay. This, this next question, um, I just love that we've been having these conversations in church the last couple of weeks because I feel like these are some issues that the, the church wants to try and shy away from. But I think that we need to, to be leading the way in having these conversations and, and, and speaking truth. So this question right now, Pastor Chris, is how to handle the current male-female controversy? What is a woman biblically? And what does God say about individuals who believe that they were born to be the opposite sex and want to change their sexuality? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I told you, I was, you get the phone. Was, <laughs> uh, so, so, hey, real quick, first and foremost is, again, going back to God's love. God is a lover of all, no matter where somebody finds themselves. And so maybe if you find yourself in this kind of a struggle today uh, where you, it's, it's been said multiple ways, I've been born in the wrong body or however it might be, I just want you to know God loves you. God loves you so much. And so um, I, this, I think it's a real confusing uh, conversation for a lot of uh, believers who have not allowed themselves to kind of get into the conversation of what's happening. So I, I, I want to clarify some terms for you real quick. So here's where we are today. Uh, birth sex, okay, is, a, is who you are by your DNA, okay? And we come from a generation uh, where uh, for our lifetime, birth, sex, and gender were always the same thing because we just thought your gender is your, is your birth sex. But we are now living in a place where, uh, you know, for centuries we, we assumed that to be true, right? But there are those who right now feel like Gender is actually not, doesn't have to be connected to your birth sex. And so what ends up happening is they see gender as something that's fluid. Gender is now not how I was born. Gender is how I feel or how I identify or how I, how I bend in my life, what I, what I lean toward. Which, by the way, I, this is in my notes, but this is, a, this is a really, really, there's a lot of things to be said on this. Because even that, it's like what, what is Outside of sex, how we were born, what is gender when it comes to male, you know, or female? Like, like what starts happening, I'm going down a road, I didn't, I'm just talking. Listen, what ends up happening is you have a guy, a, a young boy, who's like, well, I like pink. And it's like, well, no, that's girls like pink. It's like, really? Like, where, culture has like these weird things where we try to take gender and go, well, boys can't like pink. Well, really? I, my first bike was pink, everybody, just so you know, like. <laughs> It was. It was pink. And, like, I like pink. Hot pink was one of my favorite colors. And, and, and see, right now, some of you judge, like, you're going, like, but that's the, that is a, it is a problem where we start to go, well, you can't do that. Now we're telling little boys, you can't do that. You can't do that. It's like, reality is, come on now, everybody. Just, like, loose, chill out. And so we go, what happens is people start, well, maybe, maybe my, my gender is, my, what I feel like is different than what I'm, I was actually born like. Okay, and so now you have birth sex, who you are, is your DNA, your gender is now, is this, can become in people's hearts and minds this fluid thing. I was born with a male body, but I feel like identify more feminine. And so what we have now is this word transgender, which literally means my biological sex and, and gender within are at odds with each other. Does that make sense? Transgender. I, I was born in this body, but I feel a different way. And we therefore have gender fluidity. It, it's, they see sex and gender don't have to be the same. They actually can shift over time. And that's where we are today. It's where our society is today. There are people who are, are wrestling with this 
And what I want to do is say, I, I don't think the church should rise up and say, oh, that's not really happening inside of you. You know, uh, God doesn't make mistakes. And like, okay, I get it, I get it, I get it. But what you really have is somebody who is struggling with their identity. And you need to be compassionate first and foremost of like, oh man, I'm sorry to hear that you are struggling in that way. Not judge and go fix it. Come on, everybody. That's not the heart of Jesus. He is compassionate and he meets people where they are. Amen? He meets them where they are. So here's what you have. God created two biological sexes. In Genesis chapter one, it tells us that God created male and female, male and female. He created him, created them. And in Mark chapter 10, verse six and seven, Jesus equates biological birth sex with gender. In other words, with uh, mother, father, male, female roles. And so Jesus saw that there would be a harmony. And here's the, here's, I've, I've, I went and listened to tons and tons of, of uh, just, um, testimonies from those struggling with transgender uh, temptations and that battle within. And it's, it's tough because there's just not a harmony between how I feel and how I was born, right? And Jesus actually says that there was meant to be a harmony between how we were born and how we identify. Okay, that there's to be a, there's a God intends for there to be a harmony there. Here's our problem, is that this thing called sin has entered humanity. And we live in a fallen planet. And because of that, there is now for some people this disconnect. There's a pain there between how they were born and how they feel themselves identifying. And again, we, we have to realize that the sin pulls us, all of us, listen to me, all of us have some bend, some pull toward some sort of rebellion, some sort of off thing in our life. We do. Some of us are, we, we, we pull toward pride, we pull toward, you know, lust, we pull toward fill in the blank, and there is this pull. We can't ignore that. It's a reality. There's a pull. So how do we handle any pull? How do we handle any um, uh, bend toward something that is other than what God has originated for our lives? Friends, it's called repentance. I, I covered this with the homosexuality thing last week. And repentance says, you know what? I'm going to turn from the temptation and turn toward God. Is that always easy? No. It's not. We need to be careful not to diminish the reality of those inner feelings, while at the same time, careful not to affirm them. Just like I wouldn't do in somebody who was prideful or somebody who was arrogant, or somebody, I, I, I have to be careful not to diminish that. Hey, like, you don't, you're not really feeling that. You're not really, and at the same time, not affirm it. Like, oh, it's okay if you are. There's this idea, and here's where we are, and Russell, and I'll, I'll close with this. There's this idea that, that what we are after as, what we really long for is authenticity, and the way we define authenticity is being true to my feelings. What do I feel like? I'm just gonna follow my feelings. I'm gonna do what I feel. But we need to realize that our feelings can lead us astray. It, it, it's, it, it, if, I, if I know it's right to forgive somebody, come on, I'll just follow this illustration real quick. Do I always feel like it? Has anyone ever felt like forgiving somebody? Like you just don't always feel it, but I know it's right to do. How do I handle that? that that tension inside of me. Listen, here's what I do. I submit myself 
to what is right to do, no matter how I feel about it. I just do it. I, I have to lean into it. And when that comes up again in my heart and mind, when I think about it and I find myself getting frustrated with the person that I am having a hard time forgiving, I have to choose again to let it go. I have to choose again to forgive. It's a, it's a constant choice I make to adhere to what is true no matter how I feel. Today's society is elevating feelings above truth. And we bow to feelings instead of truth. What we want, my friends, in the, in the core of who we are is, is, is integrity. I live according to what God said is right and true no matter how I feel. And that goes across all conversations we're gonna have about anything. We're gonna bring it back to God. What do you say? Yeah. Now, Lord, would you give me the strength I need to submit myself to what you say. And the beautiful thing, friends, is that God, as we choose to do that, by his spirit continues to strengthen us and mold us and shift us and change us. And he, he starts to transform our lives as we submit ourselves to his word by his spirit. And so the church, to answer the question, man, you need a whole lot of grace and a whole lot of truth and a whole lot of grace and a whole lot of truth, just like you would have with anyone struggling with anything, okay? And so, scripturally, there's two sexes, there's two genders, and our world is pulling in all these ways, and we just need to do what we do with everything. We just keep bringing it back uh, to God's word. So, in your in in your research, um, do you have any other resources? Like I know I think it was Sean McDowell. Do you have any other resources? Yeah, I, if someone I, wants I to love, look into it a little more. That's a great. More? Yeah, I, I I love anything. Sean McDowell's done such a great job. I feel like he's one of the one of the guys. There's, there's not a whole lot of them that can carry themselves with grace. Sean does a great job. And so just you could, for parents, for anyone who is in that spot, uh, I think he speaks to it really graciously and biblically. And so, yeah, I'd highly recommend anything from Sean. Good. Yeah. Okay. You guys, maybe somebody remember his father, Josh McDowell, but his son is as equally anointed. He's great. Okay. And That's so. great. Okay. Pastor Trey, um, what do you do if you are married and you are unequally yoked? Your spouse is not a believer. What, what do you do? Um, okay, uh, I've got to do this really fast. This is a hard one to do fast. Um, let's address this in two, two parts. Um, if, if you are married and your spouse is not a believer, first off, Scripture speaks to this. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 14. Uh, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 12 through 14 says this. This is Paul. To the rest I say that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. Um, another translation says, uh, says sanctified, right? Same, this idea of setting apart. So first off, I want to address that and say um, that does not make them saved, okay? That is not talking about salvation. But if you are the believer in your home and your spouse is an unbeliever, they do, Paul talks about them falling kind of under this umbrella of, of um, 
sort of favor and uh, blessing that can come on your home, your children can come under that, that blessing. That's what he's talking about here. He's not talking about salvation, but he's also addressing the fact that, hey, in, in 1 Corinthians 6, I just got through saying, Paul's saying, I just got through saying, like, don't yoke yourself together with unbelievers, right? Um, but I'm so grateful that he does address this because this is a reality. Whether it is you went into the relationship as an unbeliever, or maybe one of the spouses was converted after being married, or whatever the situation is, if you are currently living with an unbeliever, know that um, know that first that God is still in your home, right? He still has a plan for your family. He still wants. You. And so, how do you approach that? How do you handle that? How do you deal with the the spouse? I would say first. Um, I'm running over this, but there is a significant weight I know you're carrying. Yeah. I know you're really feeling. I mean, we're it's it's tough. It's hard, and sometimes um, it's hard to do what I'm about to say. But if you could lift your eyes from your situation and focus on Jesus, um, I would say that is your your first step. Just keep keep Jesus at the center. Keep Jesus as the focus. The second thing and I'm going to go real deep here, um, pray, <laughs> and I know you are, but I don't mean pray like, dear Lord, bless my husband, Lord, bless, you know, be with him today. I mean warfare prayer. Go to battle for your spouse. Fight in the supernatural, in the spiritual for your spouse. Pray for them. Third thing, here's where it can get hard sometimes, love your spouse. Love your spouse the way God calls husbands and wives to love their spouse. Even if they are an unbeliever, love them. Honor them. Honor, well, they don't deserve it. They're, they're, no, no. Uh, there's a difference in respect and honor. And respect is earned. Honor's given. Honor's not about them. Honor's about you. Honor your husband. Honor your wife. And especially to your kids. You honor that person in front of your kids, to your kids. When you're getting you, yourself, and your kids ready for church in the morning and daddy's not coming with them, you just, hey, hey, kids, we, we're going to love you, honey. Kiss them goodbye. We're going to see you when we get back. You yeah. honor, honor, yeah. honor. And then the last thing is to know, to know that um, this, is a, this is a hard one, but set reasonable expectations um, because I know you've been praying, you've been believing, and then they show up to Christmas service, and it's awesome, and you're like, you're so glad they're here, and then ne the next week, they're like, no, I'm not going to church on Sunday. Just set reasonable expectations, and don't hold your spouse accountable to the expectations that you're setting for them, yeah. right? Um, set reasonable expectations, and then trust God with the results. He loves your spouse more than you do. He died for your spouse. He cares for your spouse. Every thought you're having, every care, every worry, he cares about it. He knows it. He identifies with it. And he is fighting for your spouse as well. So just know that. I know that's, that's a, a lot easier said than done. Um, but I would also recommend, again, having some people in your corner, having some people around you, a counselor, a pastor, leaders, friends that you can just lean on and depend on. And you get really good at your relationship with God and let God handle, handle your spouse. So good, Pastor Trey. So good. So good. Hey, let's do this last one. We'll close, close okay. out. And, All right. Um, 
Do you want me to read it? You sure. got it. Yeah. Okay. Um, if God already has a plan for us, why do we need to pray? That's a great question, Tatum. Is that a good question? Yes. Hey, um, real quick, so everybody, pray, pray, pray. Don't stop praying. And, and the enemy's always going to try to give you little things to try to get you to stop praying. Here's what we know. Bible says pray. God works through, someone say prayer. Pray. God works through prayer. Two things. Um, one is, the, understand this, God has determined all things. Amen. He, he, he is outside of time. He sees how it's all gone. He has determined how all things are, are playing out. God has determined. He is sovereign. He is outside of time. This is God. Now, God who is outside of time, this is so hard for us to understand. <laughs> He's outside of time, speaks into time and says, hey, everybody pray. Be like, you're going, but God, you're outside of time and you already see it all. But God goes, listen, you just need to trust me. I have determined all things, but here's what I've determined, that within time, this is me in time down here, you're wondering, I'm, I'm in time. Within time, you need to be praying. So what happens is we, the, there's this, that's called deter, de, de, determinism. God is determined. But then what happens is we get here and say, well, why pray? That's called fatalism. And fatalism isn't biblical. Fatalism says that my choices don't change the outcome. Fatalism is it's all going to happen. It's all going to happen. God going to make it. No, God actually says, no, your choices actually do dictate the outcome. Yeah. God outside of time already sees it all, but inside of time, he says, you got to pray. Does that clear it all up, everybody? I hope that clears it up. No. So, so here's what you do. You pray. Prayer changes things. James 4, 2 says, you have not because you ask not. You gotta lean in. I'm telling you, there are works waiting to be done in your life. There's works waiting to be done in our church and in our city. There's works waiting to be done in your kids, in your marriage that, listen, will only be realized through the channel of prayer. And the enemy gets you go, well, it's just all gonna play out. No, no, it's not. Don't become fatalistic in your thinking. God actually says within time as we're living this out, your prayers unlock the moving of God's spirit in your life and in your city and in our nation. And so we pray, we pray, we lean in and we, we cry out to God on, on, on every front. Does that make sense, everybody? Come on, amen, 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 amen. Thanks for joining us for today's message from Citizens Church. It's our prayer that through this message, God would impact and inspire your life. If you have any questions for us or would like to let us know how God is using these messages in your life, Please let us know by sending an email to connect at citizenschurch.org. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online and help in seeing more lives changed through the work here at Citizens Church. Thank you so much for joining us. Gotta, gotta keep on